This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 270. My name's Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, today on the show, we talk with Dan Newcomb, who is an expert on liquor licensing. He, uh, it's a tricky thing out there trying to navigate the liquor license process. Dan will share some insights with us on this complex issue. Uh, well, for first, uh, I'm home from my travels in Europe. It was amazing. Travel, travel lust. It's a real thing. I'd go back out, out on the road again if I could. The world is such a big place and there's so much to see. I also just feel like it's good for you to go out and listen to people that don't, don't talk like you to try to figure out enough of the language where you are to get your point across or at least order a drink politely. Uh, to figure out the local public transit system or to wake up sometimes not knowing where you're going to sleep that night. To go to a pub and listen to the local music or watch a big sporting event. Like when I was in Ireland, there was a big international rugby rugby match on. I don't understand the game of rugby, but I had a lot of fun rooting for Ireland along with everyone else. They lost to England that day. But I, uh, while I was away, I visited five distilleries, two wineries, and the Guinness Storehouse, which was where Guinness was originally made. Uh, now it's sort of a, uh, uh, you know, it's a uh, attraction and bar and everything. There's a rooftop bar that's really cool. And uh, actually, I learned a lot about Guinness and, and appreciate it more than ever now. I got, and I think I mentioned before, I got certified in pouring, pouring Guinness. I was doing it right all along, but uh, there's, you know, it's a little more complicated. Than drinking, than pouring a regular beer out of a out of a tap. Uh, one of the distilleries I visited was Pierce Lyons Distillery. Doctor Pierce Lyons had a deep uh, has had deep family roots in Dublin. Unfortunately, he passed away last year in 2018. There was an old church that had fallen into disrepair and was abandoned for many years. Uh, in fact, Doctor Lyons' grandfather is buried there, as or thousands of other people actually. And uh, Doctor Lyons purchased the property, and his wife restored the old church and made it into a beautiful distillery. I'll, I'll have to post some pictures up on bartenderjourney.net. It's just really stunning. So. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's available here in the States, uh, Pierce Lyons Irish Whiskey, so good stuff. Hey, if you're anywhere near San Antonio, Texas, Bar Smarts Advance is coming to San Antonio, Texas on April 2nd. This is 2019. Uh, I've mentioned this great program before. I did it a few years ago when it was in New York. It's a full day of education with the masters of the bar industry, Dale DeGroff, David Wondridge, Paul Packle, Steve Olston, Dave Frost, and Andy Seymour. You need to do the online component called Bar are smarts first in order in order to qualify for that for the full day uh, in person event and uh, the online segment is absolutely worth doing even if you're not planning to do the in-person bar smarts advance the online course is only $29 it's so worth it do it uh, bar smarts advance is $75 for the day and I uh, can't recommend it enough so all right let's get to uh, the interview we'll talk about liquor licensing all right, we're here with Dan Newcomb. Uh, thanks for joining us today, sir. Uh, my pleasure. Your company is Liquor License Advisor, yeah? Correct. And uh, so what is it that you do there exactly? So we're a, um, we're a consulting company that works with some of the major national retail brands and help them identify, uh, help them secure liquor licenses, specifically in the states where there's uh, the states operate under a quota system. There's eight, 18 states around the country that operate under a quota system, and Massachusetts is one of them. So okay. we're based out of Massachusetts, and most of our uh, most of our business has been in Massachusetts, but we do work in Pennsylvania, Florida, Michigan, California, wherever there's a quota, we have uh, some we can add value there. 
So that is that quota by uh, neighborhood or by state or town? What, how, what's yeah. the quota? So in Massachusetts, based on the uh, uh, it's by municipality. So every city and town, based on the population, has a certain amount of on-premise licenses, on-premise for bars, restaurants, hotels, and taverns, mm-hmm. and off and off-premise licenses for liquor stores, package stores, convenience stores of the such. So depending on the population, there's a certain formula that. Uh, the city of Boston, based on the population, they get so many all alcohol licenses for on-premise consumption, so many licenses, uh, so many wine and malt licenses for on-premise, and then the same off-premise. Oh, it's the same number equal. It's the same form. It's a it's a based on a formula. They get based on the population. They get a certain number of all outs for on-premise and a certain mm. number for off-premise. Got it. Oh, interesting. Okay. So we we help companies. We help companies like when when Marriott's ready to open a hotel in Boston, they'll work with their local licensing attorney, um, and the attorney will call us and say, "Hey, I've got a Marriott opening up in 2022. We need to identify a, a liquor license that they can they can purchase." Mm. So having a liquor license is actually uh, an asset, isn't it? It is. Yep. So would you approach would would you approach an existing business and and try to buy it out from them? Yeah, so more oftentimes than not, uh, the existing business, if their uh, lease is expiring or certain, you know, over the next, you know, six months, a year, two years, or there's uh, they're closing or they haven't divorced, whatever reason that they don't necessarily need a license, they'll call they'll call me to put it on the market and and uh, and market it to the Marriotts of the world or whoever. Okay, so the broker. Correct. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, I know every state's different, obviously, so it's hard to make generalities. Um, but I mean, one question I wanted to ask was like, if we, if we decided to open a bar, and uh, you know, we have the financing in place, investors, uh, what what's the next step as far as getting a license? Uh, obviously, it's different in every state. I know. Yeah. So, and we'll speak to Massachusetts first, and I can speak to a few others. Uh, Massachusetts, uh, you need to have control of the. Uh, control of the lease or control of the property to become a qualified buyer. Doesn't matter how much money you have if you don't control real estate or control a lease, uh, you're not a uh, you're not a real buyer. Okay, so you need to have control of the property in order to buy a liquor license in Massachusetts. I see. Right. So that's the first thing. If people call, I say if you have a letter of intent, then we'll start working on it. But you need to have a signed lease before you go to the licensing board to transfer a uh, liquor license in Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, very similar in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Florida as well to control the site. Once you control the site, then you can go out and get a license. And then how, how long would the process typically take from that point? So we're in, in Massachusetts. We tell uh, buyers about six months. So that's a, that's quite a burden on a business, you know, especially a small bar if they have to actually take possession of the building for six months. I mean, obviously they have construction and things to do, but, you know, it's uh, it seems like tough thing to do pay rent for six months without any income well that's a great point because a lot you know you don't want to sign a lease and commit to a lease unless you have a license and you don't want to you can't commit to a license until you have a lease catch 22 so it's working hand in hand with a landlord that understands the process and we do that you know more oftentimes than not we're involved with the lease negotiations as well as the liquor license purchase because of that reason they have to go simultaneously wow so the landlords, typically your lease will not uh, commence until you're open for business, mm. right? So the lease will commence, but the rent won't commence until you're open for business. Uh, however, uh, they 
more oftentimes than not, there's a contingency, a liquor license contingency in the lease. If you don't get approved for the license transfer, then the lease becomes null and void. Ah, okay. That's good. That's good. So, and then there's uh, typically some community board review. Uh, the community boards get involved, at least in New York, I know. Yeah. Same in Massachusetts and in Boston is an example. Um, part of the approval process is to get the na- get neighborhood support. Office of neighborhood, uh, the mayor's office of neighborhood services, prior to filing an application, uh, it's proper that you reach out to the neighborhood group for conversation about what your concept's going to be and what you're looking to do. All right. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know the community boards in New York anyway have a reputation for uh, giving bars a hard time. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants nobody wants a nuisance in their neighborhood. Everybody seems to like you know boutique, you know yeah. quaint quaint little restaurants. Nobody wants another banging bar on their back door. Right. So how do you go about uh, alleviating the, any concerns that the, <laughs> that the community board might have? Well, it's, you know, you you bring the right cons. You know, the the buyers. You know, we speak with the buyers and advise them that they need local counsel. They, sh- they should they should should be uh, engaging an attorney that uh, specializes in licenses, that has a relationship with the neighborhood groups. And if you were going to try and put a, a dance club on uh, Newbury Street in Back Bay, not that that's a practical place to put it, but he had, you know, that he's fluent and the and understands the concerns of the neighborhood group from past board meetings and past hearings. Uh, so he'd discourage that. He'd say, you know what, that kind of a club is better off down in Seaport where there is really, you know, no neighborhood to speak of that you're going to bother. Right. Got it. I mean, I know the law, the laws, we keep saying this, the laws are different in every state, but that makes it even more overwhelming, I think. And uh, I guess it makes sense to work with someone like yourself who who understands the local laws. Well, and that's that was when we got into this, when we first started, I used to be a, a restaurant owner and an operator and, uh, you know, and, and then I sold restaurants. I was a restaurant broker for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a small, like I said, there's a small group of attorneys that specialize in licenses that understand it, but they don't have the, they don't have the, uh, the time and clients, frankly, don't want to pay them the money to go out and do a lot of the work that we do. You know, we work on a commission basis, so we're, you know, we're motivated to get things done, uh, but clients don't pay us while we're working through the process. So I know there's a lot of new, a lot of new different sorts of licenses popping up. For instance, in New York, now there's a new license where you can get, uh, where it's wine and beer only, but it's on and off premise. So that, that's something new here. Are you seeing a lot of uh, modifications or, or different types of licenses popping up? I think what you're seeing is uh, around the country, there's a lot of different things going on. I think medical marijuana plays a big part in, you know, what's going on in the the marketplaces right now. Uh, It's of concern to anybody that has liquor and, you know, whether it's a retail on premise or off premise, uh, you know, medical marijuana, everybody's watching it to see what happens. Um, But I think that um, what's happening with restaurant, the restaurant business in general is that developers aren't able to support their projects with retail anymore. Retail's done online through Amazon or wherever people do retail. And the restaurants support a lot of these projects. So the politicians are doing whatever they need to do to create new licenses, to create opportunities, to create a, a way for these developers to have the space available to restaurateurs. So in Boston, there's 735 liquor licenses. That's it. If a developer wants to open up and there's no licenses available, then what happens in Massachusetts, we're seeing a lot of the cities and towns petitioning the state for additional licenses that are of the same class, but they restrict them to that one property. 
right? So it gives the developer the ability to lease out space to a restaurant and have a license readily available for them versus having to go out in the market and pay, you know, $400,000 for a Boston All Alk license right now. How much is it? 400000 for a Boston All Alcohol license. Whoa. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Well, we're seeing, uh, again, here in New York and I think around the country, uh, these uh, small distilleries are able to open now, sell cocktails in their in their uh, tasting rooms and also open a satellite location, which is a really great opportunity, I think. Interesting. And it's like $800 for the, for the, for the uh, satellite location license. Yep. And I actually spoke to, uh, I went to a, a meeting and, and actually spoke to, uh, he was like the the general counsel for New York State uh, when it comes to all things liquor licenses. And I, I said, so what are you allowed to do in these satellite tasting rooms? He says, anything you're allowed to do in your in your tasting room, in your in your distillery? Interesting. I was like, I was like for $800? That's amazing. You could open a bar in Times Square. Interesting. You know, it, 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 I think it's a big opportunity that these a lot of these uh, small distilleries don't are not taking advantage of. You know, that's something I haven't I haven't spent a lot of time with the distilleries because it's a a, uh, a license that is available in Massachusetts, and uh, it's not something that I get called on to go out and uh, investigate or advise on. Um, but I think that um, you know what we see we see a lot of restaurateurs come up from New York interested in Boston. And as soon as they hear the, you know, the they understand the liquor license system uh, in Massachusetts, they either go back to their investors and, you know, have to make a hard decision or they go away. They run away. Right. Run away screaming. Yeah. <laughs> so I hear I hear that often. And, you know, my my business is to, you know, whatever the state decides to do with licenses, they've had a couple. There's been a couple um, instances where they've tried to remove the quota and change our laws which, you know, if they change them, they change them. Then we just adjust our business model and create some some value wherever we can. But the challenge in, up here and the, and the reason that you're not seeing the chain, you know, the uh, an $800 license is that um, a lot of these people that are out there that have paid 400, 300, 400, 500,000 for licenses, their loans are tied into their license. Their, their licenses pledges collateral in the loans. Right. Right. So if, if you change, if you take the value out and start giving out free licenses, two things more than two things happen, but the big things that come up, number one, you create an unfair competitive situation. If uh, mm. you open up next door to me and you have a free license and I paid 400, that's a, you know, <laughs> an unfair competitive advantage that you have over me. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, s- secondly, that, you know, people take liquor licenses uh, very seriously in Massachusetts. If you pay 400,000 and you have a loan on it or whatever, you're going to think twice about serving a minor or somebody that's intoxicated. It's, it's something people pay attention because the penalty is revocation, losing the license. And uh, nobody wants to walk away from a $400,000 check. Yeah, right. It was interesting going back a little bit what you were saying earlier about how uh, retail is going away. And I hadn't really given that much thought. But um, I mean, you are seeing even the malls and stuff, they're going towards more movie theaters and bars and restaurants and bowling alleys and experience, uh, you know, experiences uh, to bring people into those to those locations. So, uh, yeah, maybe we're on a, on the boom of a uh, bar and restaurant, you know, uh, you know, maybe there's even more opportunity than usual. Yeah, I think so. And we've been doing a lot, uh, quite a bit of movie theaters, Massachusetts. We were very surprised that they allowed it, uh, but it's something that we've done. Um, you know, we've done a dozen uh, locations in Massachusetts recently where they've, 
you know, they serve beer and wine or, or all alcohol on some occasions. So that's a new phenomenon in, in Massachusetts over the last four or five years. Yeah, that sounds about the same timetable here in New York. So is there a, is there a big, di- well, we touched on it a little bit already, but I, I was curious about the difference between um, at, obtaining a license for on-premise or off-premise. So I guess, um, well, same thing. I'm sure you have to control the real estate as well, right? Yeah. Uh, and for, for off-premise. Off-premise licenses are, uh, there's not as many of them available in the, in the state. I believe there's 12,425 liquor licenses total in Massachusetts. Of that, I believe 3,000 are off-premise license. And based on the population, a city and a t- you know cities and towns, they don't get as many as they do on-premise license. People enjoy boutique restaurants and going out to dinner, but nobody wants a lick another liquor store in their backyard. Right. Right. So it's really you know it's uh, they're very hard to come by and they're very valuable. Liquor stores typically sell for 50 percent of sales. So if they're doing you know, 30 grand a week or 40 grand a week. If it's, if it's doing 2 million bucks, you can expect to pay a million bucks to buy one. Wow. 50% of sales is the multiple on liquor stores. Mm. That's a lot of a big outlay of money. So is it chains in, in Massachusetts? A lot of, do you see a lot of um, chain stores? Or uh, is that even allowed? Yeah. So in Massachusetts, you can currently have up to seven licenses. So you don't see, you know, Walmart, uh, Trader Joe's, BJ's, Costco, they can only have seven licenses in Massachusetts. Oh, wow. Right. So Walmart has 50 locations. They only have liquor in seven of them. <laughs> Stop and Shop, which is um, uh, A-Hold, it's a, a grocery store chain. They have 135 locations. They can only have seven licenses. So they have 128 stores without licenses. Wow. That goes up in 2020. It goes to nine. So that is that any of the chains, even Total Wine, when they come to, t- you know, they're in Massachusetts now, they can have up to seven licenses today. And in 2020, it moves up to nine. Okay. But I imagine not too many mom and pop sh- shops for a million bucks just for the license. You'd be surprised. There's still, uh, there's still quite a few mom and pop shops in Massachusetts. A lot of those are, are um, you know, selling to smaller chains, not the big name brands. But, you know, you might have a guy that owns five, six, five or six stores and wants another one. And uh, they're just building their brand. You know, it's, if it's all about location. If you've got a location that does a lot of money, uh, it's a it's a still a good buy. Well, I think in New York, you can only own one. That's, I, that's correct. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we have all these a lot of these crazy regulations all came from the end of prohibition, didn't they? Right. So the funny thing, the funny, the really the uh, very uh, ironic thing is I've been sober 30 years and haven't, haven't had a drink since March 28th, 1988. Yeah, good for you. So it's pretty fun. You know, the um, um, prohibition, you know, the Mass- Massachusetts laws, 1933, I think, is when they uh, they wrote the current chapter 138, uh, which is the liquor license legislation. You know, they modified there's some modifications to it, but it's basically intact from what it how it read in 1933. Crazy. But it was left, of course, to all, excuse me, it was left to the states to, uh, to, to come up with these laws. That's why we have 50 different sets of regulations, right? Correct. Yep. And they are every, every single one, every city and town, you know, it's, it's not only by the state, it's, you know, the cities and towns have their own bylaws as well. So there is no two city or town or municipality or county in the, in the country that, that I know of that has the exact same, there's no uniformity to it anywhere. Right. (laughs) So that's what just makes it so, it just seems so overwhelming, you know, and this is only one 
portion of opening a bar, you know, that we right. talked about. <laughs> there's there's so much to it. Yeah. I've I've always for years I've been saying I want to open my own bar and then when I start thinking about the, how overwhelming it is, it's just, you know, say, so, yeah, I'll go I'll go work in a bar where I get paid every day. Exactly. Go <laughs> go work a Panera bread and make, you know, whatever. <laughs> Uh, it, it is. It's it's changed quite a bit. You know, we've been. My dad started his first restaurant in 1965, and uh, they still. My brother still has my dad's restaurant, and you know, doing business today is not the same as it was five years ago, ten years ago, or twenty years ago. Yeah. And and uh, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the smaller bars in Boston, those small neighborhood bars that used to flourish, uh, those guys are long gone, and uh, yeah. their licenses have transferred downtown to one of the big chains. Um, so one of the challenges we still have in Boston is making sure that, you know, the, that the neighborhood bars or the, you know, wherever they want them, that licenses are available for them and that, you know, we can work with them to get, you know, get them. But that's the mayor, you know, usually the, the city council and the mayor, you know, they're putting forward legislation to get some restricted licenses for the neighborhoods to help protect some of the, uh, help protect some of the neighbor, the smaller neighborhoods that need to have restaurants and bars and, and things to keep their, you know, the neighborhood, uh, vibrant, you know, to get them licenses. So the, you know, and still have downtown booming. So it's a, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. Yeah. We're seeing our, our governor, uh, Cuomo, he's really, um, pushing forward, you know, easier way trying to make things easier. It seems for bars and restaurants and distilleries as well. Um, you know, there's this new, uh, license for small, small distilleries. It's like, it's called a farm license or something. Right. And then, um, so it's, uh, it's nice to see, you know, that small, you know, I know a couple of guys, they started a distillery over here and, uh, there's, there's another one nearby. It was a farm in somebody's, um, family for seven generations. And of course, farming's a difficult business, but they, uh, they made a really great business out of it, making, uh, making bourbon and, and gin and vodka, you know, and everything's farmed right on the land and the water even comes from the land so it's it's nice to see right do you deal with uh distilleries at all or no i don't there's a, a farmer's brewer's license that's readily available and um you know we're we're so busy with just the uh, you know working with bars restaurants and hotels and um some of the liquor stores i we just don't have the bandwidth to pick up that segment so we've really tried to niche down. There's a whole another set of regulations and that go on top of the farmers brewers license, and you know the handful of licenses. There may be a hundred of them in the state, and it's just a little bit off our off our um, our radar screen. All right. So any any other services that you offer um, that we haven't touched on yet? No, uh, you know I think that primarily what we do is help people get liquor licenses and uh, help people that have licenses that have challenges with them. Maybe it's outstanding taxes or liens or uh, liquor wholesalers. People people need help getting into these and people also need help getting out. Mm-hmm. And we try to educate people on, on the process and, and really just keep them abreast of things that are going on that are going to affect their license. Right, right. Uh, so your website is liquorlicenseadvisor.com and, um, I guess that's the best way to get hold of you if somebody wanted to, uh, enlist you. Exactly. There's a, you know, we've tried to put as much information on the, uh, on the website to help people regardless whether they're a independent operator, a chain operator, an attorney, anybody that needs to understand liquor license, we're a great place to start. And then we can help them, you know, we can uh, direct them wherever they need to go, maybe directly to an attorney or get some additional information. But we try to be a great resource for people so they're comfortable coming back to our site all the time. That's great. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for talking to us. And uh, I, I learned a lot. My pleasure, Brian. Thanks very much. Thanks, Dan. Talk to you soon. Bye now.
I hope you found that useful. If there's any, if there's ever a subject that you'd like me to cover, please let me know and I'll see what I can do. You can email me directly at brian at bartenderjourney.net. I always love hearing from you guys. So, uh, yeah, that's it for today. We'll talk to you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.